are finishing a short series on the sacraments. Some of you may be thinking, oh, good. I'm glad it's short. Let's move on to other things. Um, others of you have expressed um, uh, just appreciation for some of the things that you have learned um, about where the Christian Reformed Church lands on some of these issues, and you'll hear that again. And sometimes we have to just bring some distinctions and, and between how we believe uh, the sacraments ought to be practiced and what they mean versus other denominations or churches. Um, and, and this morning we look at the Lord's Supper. So we've had two on baptism, believer baptism, covenant baptism, and now finally on the Lord's Supper. And in connection with that, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Our council thought it was appropriate to do that. And uh, if you see in the shell some references to celebration of the Lord's Supper and, and communion uh, and, and the collection for benevolence for May 8, disregard that, because since that shell was published, we've moved it back to this date. Pardon me, George? September. September. What did I say? August? May. May. Thank you, George. Thank you. September. September 8th. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Jaritzmas. I appreciate uh, So, the Lord's Supper. And what we'll do is uh, I'll do a little bit of teaching on it. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, and then I'll have some further things to say uh, in terms of who comes to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the passage of Scripture I'd like to read. 1 Corinthians is an interesting book because Paul had issues with the church there. It was a troubled church, and Paul writes to try to provide some correction. And as he writes about the Lord's Supper, he, uh, you, you hear it already. And, and so as we get into this passage, and before I read it, I'd like to just ask for the Lord's blessing on it, but then hear the Scripture as God's Word to us. And so, Lord, here we are. And we stand ready to hear. We stand ready. Lord, make our ears, ears that hear what you have to say to us. Not only the words of Scripture, but also the words that you have put on my heart. We come here as people that gathered from a variety of situations. We come here as people who are young and old, um, middle-aged. We come as people who've got issues that we're struggling with. We come as people who have joys. We come as people who've, who know we're going to be fighting some fires over in Yosemite, and some from our congregation will need to be doing that this week. Lord, keep them safe. We pray for a world that seems to be uh, at war in places like Egypt and Syria. And God, in all of this, may your gospel be proclaimed. May the word that your grace is enough be the message that just gets proclaimed and heard in the context of a world in which we live, in a church that we are a part of. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. 
you know, just as bad as those kinds of divisions are, I guess they, he says they just show who are the true and faithful believers and who aren't. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Another way of saying you've died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. If we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. Interesting. One of the main themes, the central theme in the book of 1 Corinthians is this whole matter of all of the divisions that sit there in this Corinthian church. Paul makes a reference to that already at the very beginning uh, as he writes this letter. When you go to chapter 1, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord, this is verse uh, 10 of chapter 1, that all of you agree with one another so there may be no divisions among you, and you may be perfectly united in mind and thought talks about who he's baptized, who he's not baptized. Chapter 3, he's got the same thing. Verse 3, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? You get to chapter 6, he refers to the lawsuits that were being engaged in against one another. He says the very fact that there are lawsuits mean you've been completely defeated already. Chapter 6, verse 7, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat, uh, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. And so it's in that context that he also is describing what it looks like when they celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now let's take a little step back, because we need to ask ourselves what's going on when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. A couple of times, and, and the wording is put right on the front of the table, do this in remembrance of me, or this do in remembrance of me. What? Something that Jesus Christ taught the church to do. Gather. 
regularly to take bread and eat it. Gather regularly to take the cup and drink from it. And remember me. Remember what I've done for you. So when, when we read in this passage, and this is kind of trying to get at the answer of what is going on here, when we read in this passage where he gives thanks, verse 24, he breaks the bread and says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I've got some big words there on the screen, and we're not going to go into great detail about this, but it, it just reminds us that the church has been discussing, arguing, debating the nature of what goes on when we celebrate the Lord's Supper for the, the centuries that the church has been in existence. There's basically four views. And one of those views is called, this is the big long word, transubstantiation. Essentially, that's the, how the Roman Catholic Church understands it, that when, when the priest or the officiant says, this is my body which is for you, the bread still will taste like bread, but in some wonderful, mysterious way, it has actually changed into and become the body of Jesus Christ so that you are literally eating the body of Christ. Consubstantiation, another long word, the Lutheran perspective. When Christ ascended to heaven, his body was um, omnipresent at some level. And that when we take communion, it's still the bread, but that the body of Christ is in and with and under the bread when we eat it. Or the memorial, memorialism, that's uh, Swingley was the, uh, was, was the reformer that, uh, that uh, advocated that perspective. And it simply said that what we're looking at are just mere symbols. And we're just doing a memorial. And that's all we're doing. These are just mere symbols, the bread and the cup. From a Reformed perspective, what we understand ourselves to be doing is eating bread, drinking from the cup, but that in the process of doing that, the Holy Spirit is also spiritually nourishing and feeding us. There is a connection between the two. In the Heidelberg Catechism, I'm giving you this quote from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's, it's, you know, when, when the church disagrees about something, the questions become more frequent, the answers become longer, and you see this also in this, uh, this document of the church, and, and some of the most frequent questions and the longest answers are found in this section on the sacraments, particularly the Lord's Supper. But let me just give you this quote, this spiritual feeding. This is how it's put, the, the quote. As surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. And there's a lot more that gets said. And in fact, when I went online uh, this week to just think again through these four perspectives, there's whole books that you can buy that just have those four perspectives laid out and then responses to each of them. And it's the church of Jesus Christ just struggling to know what it means 
When Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This is for you. Do this and remember. The catechism just kind of puts the connection of eating and drinking, eating the bread, drinking the cup, and the work of the Holy Spirit in nourishing and refreshing our souls in building our faith. The other phrase that comes out in this passage is that we do this and we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. What's that mean? We proclaim the Lord's death as we celebrate, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Yes. We are declaring. We are proclaiming. We are testifying. We're wanting to declare something about Jesus Christ. Something about the significance of His death for us until He comes again, until Judgment Day. So that has to do with why we continue to do this, because our Lord calls us, because the Scriptures call us to do that. In the context, then, of what was going on at the Corinthian church, Paul is laying this out as something that's designed to confront inhospitality and to be unifying. Here's what was going on in that Corinthian church. They would often, and many, many groups of believers still continue to do that, have done this over the centuries. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is done in connection with a meal, getting together for a meal. That happened in the Corinthian church. They would take the cup, uh, they would take the bread and eat, and then have a meal, and then at the end of the meal, they would take the cup and drink. And Paul says, look what's going on here in the church, Corinthians. What's happening is that there's inhospitality. There is division that's created even in the context of something that ought to be unifying. And what was happening was this, that those who were well-to-do brought really good food and drink. Those that were poor couldn't bring very much. But it wasn't like done like um, one of our traditional river potlucks where everybody who can brings food. It's put on the tables and everybody has sort of equal access to the food. What was happening in the Corinthian church was that the rich kept their food to themselves. And they'd have a great time filling their stomachs. They'd have a great time drinking the good wine that they had brought. And who cares about those who couldn't bring food? And they weren't allowed to participate in this, in this meal that they were to have together. And so Paul writes about this, and he says, look what's going on. He says, you, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, when you come together, it's not the, for each of you. Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone. One remains hungry, the other gets drunk. It's just awful what Paul is seeing there. And he says, what you need to understand is that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the divisions melt away. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're declaring that we stand as equals before the cross, that we're all equally desperately in need 
of what the cross of Jesus Christ gives. His grace is enough. There's something else that's going on here, and it gets very serious sounding as he talks about discerning the body. And the church of Jesus Christ has taken this very seriously over the course of time. This matter of, and, and it, can get, it can get so somber that we're oh, just concerned about participating in the Lord's Supper at all. I remember in the early part of my ministry, I was serving a church in Corsica, South Dakota. It was a pretty Reformed community. There was a good-sized Christian Reformed church, a good-sized Reformed church, and there was a pretty good-sized Netherlands Reformed church there. And what we learned about the Netherlands Reformed Church is that this whole preaching about discerning the body and being equipped to celebrate, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, there were only one or two very elderly people that dared participate, that dared to eat and drink the Lord's Supper. That's not the picture that we ought to get here. Discerning the body. There's two meanings here. One is a reference to the crucified body of Jesus Christ, to the crucified. Discern that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, it is pointing us, we need to make sure we're discerning that that is pointing to what Jesus Christ does, the, the body of Jesus Christ on the cross, the broken body, the shed blood of Christ on the cross. We need to understand that at some level. The levels can differ. Some of us are actually seminary educated, Bible school educated. There are some very smart and perceptive people in this congregation. There are others who, who are, and, and there are others who are long-term followers of Jesus Christ and have been faithful in the following of Jesus Christ. There are others who are brand new to the faith. There are some that just are starting to understand the Bible. But what we're talking about, and, and there are some that we've welcomed into our fellowship and participation in the Lord's Supper who are mentally challenged. And there are some who are in a stage of life, dementia, Alzheimer's, who we continue to welcome to the Lord's table. That level of discernment can vary so much. Some are young, some are old. Some are well-trained, some are just brand new to the faith, but discerning, just understanding at some basic level that what we're talking about is not just eating a bit of bread, not just drinking a little bit out of these little cups, but that we are actually participating in, that we are being nourished, that we're being fed by the Holy Spirit. But there's the other side, and this is what Paul also is so concerned about, because of what he sees happening in the Corinthian church, there's the discernment concerning the body as the church. 
You get that already in the previous chapter, okay? The body is the church. Verse 17 of the previous chapter, context of the Lord's Supper. Is it not bread that we break? Is that not a participation in the body of Christ? And then he says, verse 17, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. You go to the very next chapter, the one after the one that we just read, and he talks about the body with this various parts. Once again, he's concerned about the jealousy that may exist because I'm jealous of what you do in the church and you just feel inadequate because of what you do in the church. And he goes through all of that. Verse 27, bottom line, he says, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. The discernment about the body of Christ. This is us doing this together. This is us discerning that we are God's people together. This is us understanding that we come with our variety of issues and levels of knowledge about Jesus Christ and the Scriptures, but that we do this together and that the divisions that should not be accented, but that they become a scandal to the world. And that's what Paul talks about here. They become a scandal to the world. And in fact, he says there's a disciplinary action that's going on here. It's interesting, and we don't know quite what to make of this when he says, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. It's not a reference to the final judgment there, but it is a reference to the disciplining that God is doing in the setting, in the context of His people, His church. Discerning the body, discerning who we are, making sure that we eliminate the differences and, and, and the misunderstandings, having the conversations that we might need to have with those that we are on the outs with as we come to the Lord's table, that level of discerning the body. So, we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we do that sensing something very special is going on. The elders have prepared elements. The elders have cut up the bread. They have poured out... I'll lay these right here. And I'll lay these right here. They've cut up a loaf of bread into small pieces that we can take and eat in a moment. They've poured out little cups with grape juice that signal the pointing to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, calling us to do it in remembrance of Him calling us who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, calling us who understand that what we're doing is proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes, calling us to do this in remembrance of Him until He comes again. I'm going to invite the elders forward. Praise team, I'll just ask you to take your places.
the praise team is going to lead us in the singing and playing of some songs, and I'll invite the elders forward, and we will have the first the bread uh, distributed among you, and then the cup, and then we will celebrate together. Just come to the table here, gentlemen. Here we go. Bread is a communion in the body of Christ. Take, eat, remember, and believe that our Lord Jesus Christ's body was crucified for us. A blessing which we bless is a communion in the blood of Christ. Take, eat, remember and believe that Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross for you. I'll ask you to go back to your seats for a moment, praise team. I want to say a few things yet. As we've celebrated the Lord's Supper, some new stuff. Just want you to know about this. There's been a conversation going on in the Christian Reformed Church for about a decade. That has to do with children at the Lord's table. And I provided a link. If you want to read the 40-page report that's been studying this, that sort of summarizes where we've come as a denomination. Um, I know that when Scott and I were talking about the preaching on this particular topic, on this subject, we wanted to communicate some of where the Christian Reformed Church now is on that matter of children at the Lord's table. Uh, and it's been an interesting conversation because the river elders who supervise our preaching have also had the dialogue this week about that. Um, for many of us who've been part of the CRC for years and years, the way we've normally understood this is that we make profession of faith first, and this is a profession of faith that's pretty formal, that is done in the presence of elders, that is done also in the presence of the congregation. You, you've witnessed it in a variety, of, uh, a variety of times in a variety of ways, some older, some uh, quite young that made their profession of faith. But that was the gateway then also to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as the CRC, the, the church has just begun to think about that some more. You know, one of the, one of the themes, one of the mottos of the, of the Reformed church over the years is to be reformed is to be reforming. We want to keep asking ourselves the questions of the Scriptures that we need to ask, wonder where we are and what we've been doing. And that practice that I referred to is the practice I grew up with. I made profession of faith when I was a senior in high school. Um, others made, my kids made profession of faith at an earlier age. 
and then they celebrate the Lord's Supper. But here's where the Christian Reformed Church has come to now. A different understanding. All baptized members who come with age and ability-appropriate faith in Jesus Christ are welcome to the Lord's table. I say a couple of things in connection with that. This ties in with Pastor Scott's message last week where he talked about covenant baptism, that that means that children that are baptized are members of the church. You're just not potential members of the church. They are part of the body of Jesus Christ. It ties in with the Passover. One of the things that Scott made a connection with was with circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New you can do the same thing with the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Jesus transformed the Passover into the Lord's Supper. And one of the things we notice in the Old Testament about the Passover is that this was a family meal, that adults and children and a child had a very crucial place to play in all that. And the other thing that we've been noticing as we just kind of thought through this whole business is that nowhere in the Scriptures or in our confessions is that formal profession of faith required. Now, I guess over the years we have said it is, but when we looked again, to be reformed is to be reforming. We looked again at the Scriptures. We said, now, okay, is it really? Now, one of the things that Pastor Scott was very concerned about as we approached this is, well, did we do it wrong before? Is this a huge, yeah, this is a pretty big deal, right, for many of us who've grown up in the church. I think for others of us, this is kind of good news because we have children sitting next to us that we know love Jesus, know that He died for us, know what the Lord's Supper is about, and wish to participate. And what we're saying is, this whole business provides us an opportunity to go home, to have family discussions about this, to talk about what mom and dad do during communion, and, and, and to also just help them with their children understand that there is a discernment. It, it puts the onus more on families, more on parents as they make decisions about whether their children, their baptized children, participate in the Lord's Supper. Questions, anyone? Well, here's a good email address, elgersma at com. There's also some material that's laying out there on the, on the table that give a summary of this 40-page report and you see elders sitting up here who may be willing to engage, and I'm sure they will be engaging in this conversation with one another as we continue to go forward. But it offers an opportunity for future communion services to look at it in the light of what I've just said. So here's uh, God's word as you leave this place. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Amen. Amen.